This is episode four of Flipping Cables. I'm David Lyons. Index 003. I'm, <laughs> that's not my name. I'm not a robot. I'm not revealing that right now. I'm Mike Edwards, but I'm going to point out the index difference every, every single time. show. So. Un- until you get bored with the joke. <laughs> I will never get bored. <laughs> so um, I think... I don't. I don't expect this to turn into like a weekly, like tech news today style recap. Um, but if we don't mention the Steve Jobs statue from last <laughs> week, I would feel like we were doing the internet a disservice <laughs> because there was some far flung corner of people who didn't see it last week and now they know about it. So, so just describe this since we are not a video yeah, podcast yet. Right. So it, there'll definitely be a link in the the show notes. Um, so it's basically, if you've seen Terminator 2, uh, at the end when they're in the smelting plant and he shoots him, I, th- I think it's the the woman shoots him with the shotgun from like yeah. point blank range and it blows him in half. So like his head is hanging all upside down and it, it's, it's very, it was very 90s CGI. It was like amazing at the time, right? Um, that's what this looks like. It's Steve Jobs' head on a four-foot-tall shaft (laughs) with letters coming off of it that look like they were hand-molded out of Play-Doh. Yeah, they they look kind of like Fresco Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Fresco Jesus. That was... See, but you know, that was an accident. That was a, someone a did bad, this on purpose. an amateur restoration. This is yeah, someone. This was the intended final product. Yeah, and and you could see in in the article that the guy who was on the board that chose this design, like he thought it was brilliant. I mean, it because there's like <laughs> there's like numbers and letters, so like because like because yeah, oh, he, he was big on typefaces. And, yeah. But even with that idea, it's still hideous. Yeah. I mean, that's the... Okay, so the idea may be artistically sound. Like, oh, this incorporates things, but that doesn't stop it from being ugly. And I don't get the the vertical, like, where his body would be, the giant... <laughs> is it supposed to be... I feel like it's supposed to be an eye. Like, his head is the dot. Oh, on yeah. The, but I don't think I would assume that if it wasn't... If I wasn't told that this was an art piece, right? Like, it, I'm trying to find... Honestly, meaning. it just looks like an unfinished, like, beginner's... Like, I was just... I put an E on the side. Yeah. I was just, like, seeing how stuff sticks. Is that... Is that a sigma on the the other side? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. So, I would love to get feedback on this like what people think if there's any art critics yeah out there's there, a, a latin letter a a serbian equivalent for e and <laughs> cyrillic letters i i i or right <laughs> this is a lot of thought went into this incredibly and like there's a zero and a one computers i get right. it yeah. they should have made they they should have just used all matrix symbols to really be on the nose so it's I, I don't know. Something tells me he would not have liked this. Like that that's my my real thought about it. Is Steve Jobs would have said like it's it's uneven and awkward. He would have at least known what he felt about it immediately, but Yes. And he would have declared it loudly and then fired someone. So um yeah. So everybody needs to just go look at that because it's it's a thing. We'll get a comparison picture together with the Terminator. <laughs> you know, I tried to find a good one of when he's blown in half, and that movie is just old enough that there aren't 1080p screenshots yeah. of it, but I will find something because a, a side-by-side is necessary. For great justice. Okay. <laughs> For great justice. So, we've well, got a whole bunch of things we could talk about today. Yeah, so I want to... I kind of want to do the 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 open source software and the digital objects together because I feel okay. like they're a a culture future twenty first century lifestyle millennials thing. Okay, so set this up. What, okay, what so are we on about so open source software. Um, I think everybody uses it pretty much every day, whether they realize it or not. Because you either use like the Chrome browser or Firefox or even Windows has libraries that are all open source. I can't think of a modern platform that doesn't 
Right. Yeah, I mean, if you use a Mac or obviously if you use Linux – well, actually, I take that back. If you use Windows, let's just pretend Windows has no open source libraries even though I know it does. So if you use Windows and Internet Explorer, which is proprietary, every web server you connect to is running open source software, either yeah. Apache or, mm-hmm. or something. So you, you just can't get away from it. Um, and when somebody makes – so we were talking yesterday about how – um, there's the freezing speech versus freezing beer, and open source software doesn't necessarily have to be for free. Like it can be available for free, but the company that makes it can still sell it. Mm-hmm. And I, we don't want to call anybody out, but we, the whole reason this this came up is because we were looking at um, a couple forums for products we use in our jobs, and. These people seemed grossly to misunderstand what open source software was, right? So you you found the first one on uh, that one forum for that one product <laughs> yeah. that shall remain nameless. Yeah, we're so, not trying to dox them or anything. Yeah, I, I don't want anybody to, to go and harass this guy. But so wh- what did he say? What did you see that he was posting on this forum? So, And I'm he, using he in the ultra generic because both of these posts were actually like dozens of different people. And I won't directly quote him because then people can Google and find this. But Smart he basically was complaining about signing up for a product because he found out that to use it directly from the creators of it, he'd have to pay for hosting. Even though this product is something you can grab the source code, and if you have a server or you want to pay someone else for a server, you can throw it up pretty much anywhere that has the right tools in place. Right. So it's like he was going to be given a free couch but not a house to put it in, and he was mad. And this the thing that was confusing about his angry ranting yeah was, totally just he, foaming at the mouth yeah just and he did what every 12 year old does which insists that he's not computer illiterate that he knows open source that he has launched all these internet age products and services and that he knows how the business model works so to declare his mastery of the subject and then insist that it's BS that they wanted to charge him for hosting as if hosting was like this unlimited commodity, which is, it was baffling. And I have to say the people in the forum were incredibly tolerant, except one guy, one guy was totally egging him on, (laughs) but but the other people, you know, users of the product, um, as well as some of the, the representatives from the company that are involved in the forums, they were all incredibly like, you know, listen, we're sorry that there was a misunderstanding, but the hosting is very expensive and we want to provide top tier hosting for this service. <laughs> I see the guy egging him on. Do you even blog? <laughs> Bro, do you even internet? <laughs> Maybe this can be your blog. It's free. <laughs> Referring to the forum. Yes, yes. Just keep complaining on the forum forever. <laughs> no ads. It's great. Everybody's already got an account. <laughs> But yeah, so it, and so the the place that that tied in to another person we saw complaining on a forum was actually a big group of people. Um, was they were complaining that this service they were ironic air quotes paying for was not acknowledging every single change they requested as they requested it. So basically, the, this service you can go onto their forum and you can make a request for features and then. They were pissed because their features weren't immediately being added yeah. to the product. So, and they're pretty upfront with not only do they not promise to make every single feature. That's insane, right? <laughs> but I mean, they just take it into consideration. Like, yeah, if a hundred people all want the same thing, we'll take a look at it. Right. Not- <laughs> yeah, and and a lot of people on that board were saying, well, if you know, 200 of your customers say that they want this feature, you should do it. And it's like, well, no. Nowhere did we say that that's the rule. I can't imagine <laughs> the, the crazy hydra of a product you have if you try to – you have basically every enterprise product. Yeah, you would, have, you would have Blackboard or um, SharePoint or any huge Microsoft Enterprise Oracle mm-hmm. product, any of those things. Because those are 
They're junk drawers, right? It's just every single tool and tweak and well, feature just, and preference. You're just trying to sell someone f- higher up on a checklist who isn't going to actually use the product, and then they deploy it to the yes. pain of everyone else. Yeah, and <laughs> if you use open source software, or you're, I should say if you're involved in the, the open source software community, one of the consistent complaints from maintainers of projects is people are constantly not just requesting features, but contributing features. So a coder will develop something and then try and contribute it back to the core project. And the maintainer has to say like, Hey guy, uh, I appreciate all your hard work, but I don't want my product to do that. There's no reason it needs a button that does that thing you just added. Feel free to fork it. Yeah. Appreciate it. But it's like, you know, so you're turning away, not just the suggestions, but the hard work of your community so it's, you know, it's it's a crappy place to be in, I imagine, when you have to potentially alienate your most engaged users. Um, and then, so so on this the the second product, I feel bad having to talk about things in the ethereal <laughs> third person kind of way, but I really don't want to call of out pronouns and yes, no I, antecedents. I'm, I'm just we're not nearly famous and successful enough that we can just rush Limbaugh company names all over. I really the don't want to rush Limbaugh anything, whatever <laughs> that means, ever. any meaning of it. <laughs> That's yeah, you're probably right. So that that'll have to be on like a sticky. Note. So in addition to having misconceptions about what it means for something to be open source. Yeah, so then the other thing we ran into that was related to that was buying digital stuff. So you buy a a Kindle book, right? The word buy is wrong. (laughs) It's not – that's not what you're doing. It's like the word steal when you pirate those things. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It's nice that there's both sides of that. So so t- explain it. What happens when you buy a Kindle book or an iTunes movie or, or any, any kind of DRM'd digital product? What are you actually getting? You are paying for a license for access to that thing for you personally <laughs> to enjoy it, sometimes only on a specific device. True. So – and what happens if the contract that, uh, let's say, Amazon has with a publishing company goes under? What what happens to your books? I, I guess it depends on the, the deal the publisher has with Amazon. but Right, which is actually almost worse because you couldn't just say, oh, well, they'd go away. Because in some cases they might and in other cases they might not, right? And that unpredictable – you know, if I if I buy a book, if I go to – a bookstore, if there are any left, and I buy a book. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> if I go buy a book at, at not Borders, um, Barnes and Noble, I guess, and I bring that book home, unless like it gets stolen or my house burns down or something or I lose it, like I have that book. If the company goes out of business, I have that book. If the store goes out of business, I still have the book. Well, this is also if you suddenly become an Apple fan and you buy an iPad and for some reason you hate the Kindle app and you're ignoring that it exists. Sure. And you want to read Ender's Game again, get ready to buy it again. Right. Because your Kindle version, I don't know, in my convenient example, of ignoring <laughs> the Kindle app. But do it, do the, it the other way. Say the, I had an iPad okay. with the iBooks version yeah. and then I bought a Kindle. There yeah. You go. Then you get to buy it again. Yeah. So, or pirate an EPUB. Yeah, or try and hack the DRM off the version I have. So we need a word for what you're actually doing because you're not actually buying the product. The word is licensing. Do you think that could ever be worked into the normal? No, no one's going to say, I licensed a new book today. (laughs) (laughs) Have you licensed any books recently? Have you licensed any good books? Oh, man, I licensed that movie twice last night. It was so good. Well, this is the the evil genius switch that every content company is making in the digital era is they are able to circumvent the right of first sale, which is enjoyed by any physical product. Because <laughs> when I buy a physical book or I buy a computer, um, that company has no say in what I do with it, including selling it to someone else. Right. And not only can they not say anything, but you're actually legally protected. And this has always been awesome for libraries and other really awesome things that people don't take advantage of in our society. (laughs) (laughs) 
and actually, that's I, also what's I, killing I libraries. I just got my library card. I'm, I'm an official resident now. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that's also what's killing one thing that's killing libraries, which we should actually bring a library person on sometime, but um, is licensing access to digital materials is the publishers want absurd because they want to get paid over and over, right? Sure. So they want to be like, oh, you lent this out this many times, you need to pay us again. Yeah. Oh, a physical book would have deteriorated in 15 years, which is already dubious claim anyway. It's very dubious claim. Therefore, <laughs> we're going to impose that stupid idea on digital materials and make you pay for them every so many years. That one, I did. Is that a real That's thing? That's a real thing that happened. So their, we'll argument, link. their argument is. I think it was 26 the, years the was the argument. The paper would have deteriorated to the point where it's no longer. Where lendable. they would have had to buy a new copy. Right. Therefore, we're just arbitrarily going to say you're buying a new digital version, every licensing a new digital version. That's insane. That's that insane. revenue. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. But I mean, so instead of finding a new licensing model like, um, oh, instead of charging you $30 up front for the book, we're going to charge you $2 a year forever. You know, yep. as, as long as you have it in your collection, we'll just charge you a fee. So you can imagine, as a library, you just have a rising cost. I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I had no idea that they likened stuff to physical, uh, you know, deterioration rates. That's, oh my god! So that's one of the things that <laughs> I hate most about the move to digital. You, you know, you, we're jumping past the obvious benefits. Sure. Stuff's instantaneous. You don't whatever. <laughs> All the good stuff. It's digital. It's theoretically could go anywhere. Be used on almost anything, in theory. But <laughs> what drives me nuts is imposing constraints based on the old physical format arbitrarily. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm all for you know creators deserve to get paid and the people who produce stuff deserve to get paid and all like that. But I feel like this never goes the other way. Like pretend. Uh, the cost of paper suddenly dropped to one one hundredth of what it is, and we had no concern of deforestation. Like we could right. just like go yeah. to town. Yeah, so we have an unlimited uh, paper resource, and the cost to produce it, like the actual manufacturing of paper, the cost drops to one one hundredth. Do you think they you would just cut describe the, the internet? <laughs> yeah, I did. But do you think they would reduce the cost of the physical good? No, no, they, they would never just do margin. And I, it always frustrates. This happens with gasoline or petrol, if we have any overseas <laughs> left listeners. Um, petrol, so, <laughs> petrol. So the the price of oil, they act like the price of oil is what sets the price of gasoline at the pump. And I mean, I'm not an economist, but I know that as long as I've been driving a car, the price of a barrel of oil has been around a hundred dollars. Within uh, you know twenty percent, and yet the price of gasoline has tripled yeah. in the last like fifteen years. So, what changed? You know, I mean, are people buying less gas because things are getting more efficient? Yeah, is it or are I mean, considering those industries put out record profits every <laughs> single quarter, I'm guessing that they're continuing to do okay despite. Assuming oh, yeah. they pay Besides, their workers more, you know. Aside from Apple, occasionally it's usually Exxon at the top <laughs> of the universe, isn't it? Yeah. Depending, I mean, I know there's like 800 different ways to measure a size of a company, but yeah, but I think Exxon Mobil is consistently in the top five of most profitable companies ever. Let's ask Google what <laughs> Google thinks most profitable companies. Apparently, other people have asked this question, but yeah, I think it's um, it's just absurd to me. To apply a physical uh, Huffington Post, you're terrible. It's, it's absurd to me to apply a physical world model to digital goods mm -hmm. to begin with, and then the reverse is they're applying a model of physical scarcity when no scarcity exists, and in the real world, when scarcity goes away, they still don't lower prices. So it's like we don't lower prices until demand goes down. Yeah. Pretty much until we have competition. We have such abundance that there's just absolutely no way we can keep the prices up. This is Huffington Post. If you're listening, um, your article is terrible. <laughs> I have gleaned 
nothing useful. <laughs> but if I can close these 15 ads, it looks like um, – Closed tab didn't read. <laughs> closed tab didn't read. Uh, it looks like several of the top companies – these are in no discernible order because their website is terrible um, – are gas companies and banks. And then right up there with them is Apple. So <laughs> you have – Gas company, gas company, bank, gas company, gas company, bank, Apple, gas company. <laughs> so what does that tell you about, you know, the, the, lots the of, physical goods Lots model? of stable industries of natural resources that are going to be used for the foreseeable future, and then a tech company. <laughs> yes, and then iPods. Well, I guess iPhones. Their iPod sales have kind of gone in the toilet. And then Performas. <laughs> So I, I, I have to – the thing you said with libraries, so the, the, the deterioration, do you, do you know anything else about their pricing structure? So they, they sell it to them as if it was a physical good. They seem to lend them as if they're physical goods because I'm a big fan of audiobooks. So when I got my library's OverDrive app or whatever oh, it's, it's called. Oh, it's like only 10 people can use this. No, like one. Like almost every book I looked at, even big, super successful books that probably lots of people would check out, that one, two, I think three was the most I saw on hand. And you're like, this, you realize like files can be copied, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you don't actually put the book on a thumb drive and then like drive it to my house, do you? This is the only series of bits that represents yes. this book. That they can never, have. ever be duplicated again. It is a beautiful and unique snowflake <laughs> of ones and zeros. But that, so, I mean, I just feel like this is not a difficult problem to solve or that anyone would suffer. Like, you are the person who owns the rights to the audiobook for Ender's Game, let's say. You could come up with a licensing model that's not stupid and based on scarcity, charge the libraries an appropriate amount, and then they would be able to service their customers better because they would have like a hundred copies instead of one. But money. <laughs> but that's the thing is I honestly don't believe – I feel like a library would probably pay a little bit more to do a way better service to their customers. Because, I mean... That's where the company goes, oh, yes, they'll pay a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they will. But I I just feel like... Think about it from the greedy, you know, fat cat in the pinstripe suit with the big cigar. A Captain Planet villain. Yes, exactly. <laughs> who who just wants to destroy the world for its own sake. Yes. Some men just want to watch the world not read Be books. Be polluted. Yes. So imagine from his point of view or, or her point of view or their point of view. Their point of view. You're sitting in your boardroom. And you can either give this library a library, by the way, not a for-profit business. You can either give them one copy and charge them as if you sold them one copy of the book. Or you can come up with some alternate pricing model and then give them like 100 copies. The only reason I can think of not to do that is that you're betting that someone will go into the library, the book won't be there, and then they will go and buy it. Yeah. Right? Like, what else do you stand to gain? It's the same thing of, like, keeping movies off Netflix to sell DVDs and Blu-rays. Yeah. it's. I mean, with Netflix, I guess, you know, people must be making money off Netflix because a lot of top-tier movies get there right away. But they've pretty famously had some brain drain of good movies in the past half year. They have, but I feel like every time that's happened, it's been symbolic. Not because the company me, was actually like, losing money, but because they were like, oh, we don't believe in this new fangled future. There's a lot of uh, forgotten movies, lesser movies of famous actors' careers. Like, oh, it's a Tom Hanks movie. Never heard of that one. <laughs> oh, this is why. Because <laughs> it's the one <laughs> awful movie Tom Hanks ever made. <laughs> And it's not his fault. He's fine, but the movie yeah. is not good. There's certain actors that you can't use them to judge the quality of a movie. Well, like Johnny Depp has been in a lot of really bad movies, but I usually enjoy him right. just fine. Patrick like Stewart has, <laughs> has played a couple terrible villains. 
And it's like, yeah, Patrick Stewart was good, but it was a dumb kids movie that was terrible. Ray Fiennes in the the Avengers, not the Marvel Avengers, but the other oh, Avengers. Oh, yeah. The movie's not good. No. Nope. He's good. <laughs> I like him in pretty much everything. That was because it's Ray Fiennes. <laughs> Who, what's the, is it Scott, the, the director that like loves him? Oh, I don't know. Uh, there's, I feel like he's got some director pair, like uh, Tim Burton and Johnny Depp are like basically Leo Siamese and twins. Scorsese. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, I don't know. I'm my movie knowledge is not as sharp as it was when I worked in in video rentals back in the day. Video tapes, children. I used to That's like we need have to, to rewind videotapes. We need to track down that Mark Hamill Japanese cyborg suit movie <laughs> he was in this movie after uh i know this is impromptu we didn't talk about that no i don't i want to know about this well i mentioned it to you before um the guyver or guyver guyver oh, like yeah. without mac in front of it yeah just guyver <laughs> yeah mark hamill with like uh we'll get a good picture holy crap of a, he has a mustache <laughs> in this <laughs> It's like one of his lesser-known post-Star Wars attempts at acting before he just went, like, you know what, screw it, voice Full-on voice actor. <laughs> I'm going to be the Joker, and that's it. Yeah, this actually, this was 91, and I think Batman the Animated Series started in, like, 92. So this movie must have tanked something horrible, and then the next day he was like, I quit. There's a director's cut. <laughs> he flipped over the movie table and just went I full think Joker. I for the good of the show, we might need to review this movie. Ugh. I saw it when I was a kid. Can, and we, can we review it really drunk? I think I just enjoyed it because I was like, it's Luke Skywalker and he's in a suit like fighting guys. But I have no idea if it was any good. <laughs> I don't recognize any of the people on this cast list. I mean, granted, I'm but not... Can you see how like Japanese anime the suit is? Oh, yeah. It looks like Ultraman. Yeah. This looks like the movie adaptation of Ultraman. Because they added, like, needless texture to the Ultraman suit. Yeah. No, we might... This might happen in a future episode where we berate this movie. (laughs) I don't know. What if we love it? Uh, What if it's like Buckaroo Banzai, where it's, like, a ridiculous movie that is just completely wonderful? Well, Well, it doesn't have that following. (laughs) (laughs) There's a sequel, but without... Is Mark Hamill in the sequel? <laughs> how, how could he not be? In The Giver 2? The MacGyvering? Mutronics? But if, okay, so you just said, what if it's terrible but we love it? Is there is there a, a deep... So I need a big armchair and a pipe. Is, is, <laughs> is there a philosophical difference between appreciating something for quality and appreciating it for a total lack of quality. Well, I don't want to ruin the topic, but we need to bring David Thomas on here to talk about F minus. Okay. Cause like the room has an amazing cult following for how bad it is. And people are endlessly entertained by how terrible it is. Yeah. You're tearing me apart. (laughs) But I feel like, so if it's not bad on purpose, it's it doesn't kind of, have to be on purpose. No, but that, that's what I'm saying. So if if you like something that was trying to be good and you like it because of how badly it fails, <laughs> is that like if you want... That's wa- like the cat that tries to jump right, out and, the window. Yeah. And just completely slips. So you're in... You're really... It's schadenfreude, right? You're, <laughs> you're taking joy in the failure of others. It's... It, I mean, this is basically the entire premise of Mystery Science Theater 3000, right? Well, it's also <laughs> the entire basis of Tim and Eric's humor. I mean, other than just being non-sequitur insane, like, <laughs> it's it's cable access mediocrity. And, the, you know, that generation that grew up seeing that crap at midnight on TV. Yeah, like you're Wayne's supposed World. to be in bed, and so yeah. you just turn the TV on and sit under the covers anyway. It was just, like, these people that got access to public airwaves and made really weird stuff. You know, I guess I didn't think about it as a kid, but that's kind of what UHF is about, the yeah. Weird Al movie, which I think is hilarious. I mean, I grew up... Well, that's a great movie. Yeah, I grew up with Weird Al, but... Um, but that's enjoyment of the thing that we enjoy of how bad. Right. It's it's a good it's a celebration of a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. There there's probably some compound German Latin <laughs> pseudo French word for stealing 
or not stealing uh, for for enjoying something for its terribleness. Because I feel like if if somebody falls down, it's it's like a relatable experience. So like you're laughing at like oh I've done that. I don't know. Maybe I'm being. Maybe people aren't really that empathetic, but that that's <laughs> that's how I justify it to myself anyway. Like oh we've all fallen down before, ha ha ha. But to see a terrible movie and just laugh at its terribleness, I feel like there's it's some other kind of emotion. Some philosopher, tell me what the word is. What did Aristotle call this? <laughs> Which one of the humors it's does this derive from? Greeks or Germans, I have a word for this. <laughs> the only two cultures who would possibly have figured this out. Maybe there's a, a Hebrew description of this. I don't know. <laughs> so, something I won't be able to pronounce. Oh, I need to add. I just realized I have a tab open to Fresco Jesus, <laughs> which is always, you know what you should always, always have a, a tab open to Fresco Jesus. Just get pin it. You know, in that in that category of things that are terrible that bring me joy, that is really high on the list. Fresco Jesus, really? Every time, it, there's a visceral like just. It's, I can't stop looking. I at don't it. even have to like have any deep thought associated with it. Just the seeing it, just immediate smile, immediate oh man, it's so bad. It's <laughs> I, so. Can you do you know the story? Can I, I don't want to sit here and read this article, but can you do you know the whole story? Like, could you refresh me? Um, just how a, this happened? Just vaguely that some lady tried to restore it herself, and then was she an art restorer? Like, no, I don't think so. So she just busted out her Crayola crayons and and dry erase markers, and <laughs> let's see if Wikipedia has a good summary. I'm, well, I'm sure there's like a Wikipedia know your meme kind of itch a home. Uh, behold the man. That's what <laughs> it's referred to as. This is oh good. There's a, a Homer parody, of course. The G- painting rose to the status of an internet phenomenon in August 2012. Cecilia Jimenez, an 80-year-old amateur artist. <laughs> Do you mean Jimenez? Jimenez, <laughs> an 80-year-old amateur artist living locally, painted over the fresco in an attempt to restore it. The result resembled a, this is a BBC correspondence quote, a crayon sketch of a very hairy monkey in an ill-fitting tunic. <laughs> it's also been nicknamed Potato Jesus. And can, Okay, I didn't remember this. Did you ever see the Mr. Bean movie? Uh, yeah, once or twice, maybe. That happens in it. Fresco Jesus happens? No, not that painting. But, I mean, where Mr. He, Bean he destroys ends up a painting defacing a painting. And tries to fix it and <laughs> does pretty much the same quality of work. So, And I, I wonder if, and I can't remember the movie, if the art world like declares it a... A masterpiece, yeah. yeah. So th- is, this, is this life imitating art? <laughs> or is just the idea of trying to cover up... Well, I guess she thought she was doing good. It's not like she spilled grape juice on it. I don't know it. if she thought afterwards she had done good. <laughs> no, well, hindsight's twenty twenty, Mike. But I mean, so she- <laughs> Fresco Jesus is a reminder of that. <laughs> so, but that's what I mean is is she she set out to fix it, but she's not the one who destroyed it, right? No, it was it was. <laughs> I don't know how bad it was though, because there's a pretty decent image of what it used to be. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but should, I'm just saying there's like I should not have this in front of me because I cannot focus. Like it's it's funny enough on its own even without knowing it's a bad restoration. It's just a really like if someone's like I painted a man, <laughs> not even saying I painted Jesus, I painted a man and you're just like what, <laughs> well, I, what did you do? <laughs> I, I can't focus. Uh, I can honestly say uh when I saw this the first time on Reddit, you know, two years ago, I guess, when this all happened, I did not know the story. So I just saw the image with no background knowledge, and it cracked me up. So, I mean, this is one of those things where it's like it's like watching behind the scenes on a, a movie you love. Like, 
when you find out all the detailed work that went into making the Lord of the Rings costumes, even though they didn't appear on film, you're like, wow, I really appreciate this even more. And when I saw this the first time and it was like, what am I looking at? And then I found out the story. I was like, oh, it's even more depressing and terrifying than the picture conveys. (laughs) Okay, I have to close this tab. Okay, so so in summary, we need to watch the Giver... Yeah, it's it's on and our. And we need to find the the, the European or other, even older language word that describes that. Yeah, I feel like Schadenfreude is the closest I know of. There yeah. may be a better word, but taking joy in the failure of others, right? Yeah, because they're if they're trying to make a good movie uh, and they come the, out with the Giver, definitely. <laughs> now, the context for that is, I think, a little more malicious. Usually, like. This person you hate failed, and you're just like, yes. Or, you know, someone yeah. that you kind of despise, and you're really happy when something bad happens to them. So is that we actually we, – we know for a fact that we have a bilingual German-English listener. <laughs> so if you're listening, bilingual German-English listener, um, is Schadenfreude – does it apply specifically to people you have a distaste for, or is it – like if I'm just walking down the street and I see someone drop an armful of things like in a bad infomercial, <laughs> that can I take joy in that without That's malice? That's the same genre too. The one of my, the favorite subreddit I have is Where Did the Soda Go? Because they just curate moments from infomercials of yeah, that's absurd problems. Like someone's got a tray of food and they sit down in the most violent manner <laughs> possible and spill it all over themselves, and you're like, who like just like when they sit down, just decides to go, I'm just going to stop supporting my body and just fall into the couch. I think that's really, um, it's just terrible acting, right? Because it's, <laughs> there's a believable, the yeah, the, there's a believable way to trip over a throw rug and drop a tray of sandwiches. And then there's the infomercial way. Well, I think it's, it's maybe at first it was sort of like, just a product of like low production value and not having real actors at first. Like that's not still. Well, I mean that's still the case, but I think now it's imitation. It's just like this is the genre. You're making an infomercial. You oh. have black and white footage with a ridiculous example. Okay, so you think that when some company sets out to make an infomercial. It's like making a soap opera. Like there's a checklist. I think of there's things. a little bit of that. It's kind of it's so, kind of a genre. So you have to have the, the when the problem is happening, it's all in grayscale, and then the person looks at the camera like, "How did this happen to me?" Yeah. And then the the big X. Where did the soda go? <laughs> the big X has to fly in yep. over the problem. And then, like a dime store, Pat Sajak has to be like, "But there's a better way." Yeah. And nothing says confidence that to sell your product, you have to keep adding more things to the package for free. Yes. It's and like, it's always... So, we believe so much in this crazy mop we're selling that we're going to give you 15 extra heads of the mop. Yes. Plus two ShamWows. <laughs> so, you know, you have me really curious about this now because if there's anything in our society that has way too much scientific research dollars thrown at it, it's marketing. Right? Like everything is finely crafted to achieve a specific feeling or to get to a certain kind of audience. And now you've got me thinking infomercials are not targeting us, right? Discerning, educated geniuses, intelligent men of industry. That's right. You know, (laughs) captains of industry. But I feel like an infomercial, because I don't just sit at home at one in the afternoon or one in the morning and watch basic cable, right? So, and that's when they advertise. So I feel like if they're advertising at that time, they're advertising to the kind of person who on a Wednesday is home. No, I, I love figuring out who the audience of a show predominantly is by looking at the ads. Yeah, so like Daily Show, there's lots. I've seen lots of like college and online degree ads sure. in the Daily Show. Yeah, because it's 1130 at night. They know their audience is all 19 and 20-year-olds. Yeah. Um, but I, So do you think a lot of scientific research has gone into what kind of really simplistic – 
sort of comical ad will appeal to the 3 a.m., you know, basic cable TV watcher, right? Because if I see an ad like that for, you know, Ginsu knives, I'm, I know, like, those knives suck. <laughs> no set of 55 knives can possibly sell for $19. But the marketing's based on everyone knows how much it sucks to cut food with terrible tools. Yes. And so they can, that's the story you tell, is like, you've all been in the kitchen trying to chop an onion and it's, you're crying. You've been all, you've all been in the kitchen trying to cut an entire can of tomato paste without opening it. (laughs) This knife can cut right through the can. But I feel feel like there's, there's, (laughs) it cuts through mithril. So, but I feel like there's a division. the title of our episode? It cuts through – yes. It cuts through mithril. I'm going to add that right now. Um, but I feel like there's a division between the kind of people who would look at that and say, that's bullshit, and the kind of person who looks at that and says – and fumbles for their wallet and their phone, and they're like, I have to order this right now, right? Well, there's just a novelty too because like – I think this is still a thing in some shopping malls, maybe only in the Mall of America in Minnesota, but <laughs> – is the as seen on TV store or just seen oh no products? I, I have seen those stores actually um, if you want to know the pervasiveness of that if you go into Bed Bath and Beyond there's, yeah, there's that's a another haven bin not like a section but like a sad wire bin in the middle of one of the aisles like where they sell later career Mike Myers movies <laughs> yes exactly so right next to the five dollar crap Love DVD guru. oh. <laughs> Oh, there's some that's a, so that's no, no, that's a movie that is terrible that I can't enjoy. Right, it's terrible the for the sake of terrible, terrible and is terrible. Yeah. Anyway, that, continue. Yeah, so that that's where you see the um, the massage chair thing you add where you sit on it. Um, that's where you shake see, weight. Yes. Oh dear God, the shake weight. If there was ever an animated GIF that had to go into the or show any notes. other tool that vibrates and is somehow <laughs> supposed to make you a fit person all yes. of a sudden, and the the rating of the show just instantly went to yep. R. If anybody Google's vibrate fitness, any tool that vibrates, <laughs> any tool that vibrates, is that competition for episode title? I really like it. Cuts through mithril. Yeah, I want to stick with that. But yeah, so okay, so. Um, I feel like we got their non sequitur to non sequitur to non sequitur, but I feel like um, there's probably a huge amount of psychology that goes into that marketing because otherwise it wouldn't be worthwhile marketing, right? If you're not getting to your target audience and then getting them to buy your product. So do you think like you on one end you have, let's say like an Apple ad, incredibly laser focused emotions yeah just just all the feels (laughs) and it's targeted at you know you don't see apple ads um you know to the side of like a cheetos ad right because in the middle of a football game because that's not they want those people to buy iphones well i think that's (laughs) one of the biggest principles in marketing is you need to cause an emotion that associates with your product because e- people will remember emotions longer than any details about your product. Right. So so if you can make them feel happy and laugh in associating with your product or feel really poignant like that Christmas Apple ad of the teenager who looks like he's not involved in his family and at the end Oh, realize, it turns out he's been filming. Yeah, and has this really <laughs> touching video and everyone's crying and like that ad is amazing. Yeah, which you know... And it's not rational at all. It's just an emotion ad and it's... Like if you're in the field of marketing, you got to be like, wow, wow, that's the shit. Like, <laughs> right? That's how you do it. <laughs> and the thing is, that ad was such a big deal that I know exactly what you're talking about. I've never seen it. <laughs> like people talked about that ad so much that I'm I know the entire structure of the ad, and I also know that there's a bunch of scenes where he's holding the phone vertically like he's texting. Yeah. <laughs> But it that all the matter. video is matter. no, it doesn't matter because that's not it. It's not a tutorial. It's it's just an emotional experience that we the viewer get to go along for. 
And actually, I'm I'm it's a minute and a half. I have it silently playing in the background right now. But it's I feel like I've seen it before. That's how much people talked about mm. this. It's like when I've read a book after you know people have been talking about it my whole life. I'm so familiar with it. I didn't see The Godfather until I was like in my early twenties. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yes, yeah, sp- spoiler alert. The Godfather is a movie that everyone has seen except I had until then. But the thing is, there were references. Like in Animaniacs, there's the pigeons that are – it's supposed to be like a combination of like The Godfather and right, Goodfellas right. and Casino. And and I was like, oh, I get that now. Oh. Oh, that pigeon's fat because Marlon Brando had gotten fat. And it's funny when people <laughs> get that – like something is so – ingrained in culture that it just seems obvious and therefore not special anymore. Yeah. Like Lord of the Rings, when people are like, oh, they're just ripping off Harry Potter. And I'm like, face palm. Not, you know, so many faces, not enough palms. (laughs) I can never flip enough tables to display my anger. And it's like, yeah, there was fantasy stories before Lord of the Rings, obviously, because he's taking after Beowulf and other Middle English Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. He didn't invent castles and rolling hillsides. He's celebrating the genres he loved, just like Tim and Eric are celebrating gleefully cable access television. You hear that, Tolkien scholars? (laughs) The classroom next to your Tolkien uh, graduate study is studying Tim and Eric. I don't think it's a controversial (laughs) analogy, but... (laughs) Because he wrote a modernized version of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Sure. So he was practicing the same thing he would do in Lord of the Rings. Yes, but not the cable access version. But yeah, like <laughs> now people can see Game of Thrones and or just read the Sword of Shannara or something and just be like, oh, that seems obvious. Orcs and elves and yeah. swords and evil kings. and Yeah, I don't think anyone born after... He wrote those books in the 50s. Yeah. So I don't think anyone born after 19... It feels like it's older than that. You're like, oh, it's like... Yeah. Well, I mean, he he was older. Right. Like, he's always shown... He died in in the 70s, but... But, I mean, he's always shown as the little old man, the professor, the gray hair, the cardigan. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not like he was born in his 60s but he's always <laughs> Benjamin Button but doesn't get younger <laughs> yes he's just born at 68 and just stayed 68 old, old man <laughs> smoking a pipe already <laughs> oh that the terrible labor that must have been <laughs> but if you smoke coming up you completely derailed my thought <laughs> because I'm imagining an old man being born with a pipe and a cardigan <laughs> that's I had something valuable to contribute, and it's just gone forever now <laughs> to that image. Can someone on DeviantArt please draw <laughs> an old man being born with a pipe and a cardigan? Just an old man. You don't. It doesn't have to be Tolkien. <laughs> well, if it's an old man, John being, Ronald Rule. If it's an old man being born with a pipe and a cardigan, I feel like that would make it Tolkien. Like it's just. Ah, yes. Okay, I remembered. Thank God. So um, I feel like anyone born after those books uh, were were popular and, like, disseminated widely. If you ask them, describe an elf, they would say, you know, oh, they're about the size of a human, but they're more frail and they have very angular features and pointy ears. Like, there would be no debate or discussion. That's just what an elf is. Not or even like- describe a Tolkien elf. Just describe an elf. Were, were elves, elves were an idea before Tolkien, but dwarves right. were something he invented, right? Oh, I'm not yeah. a Tolkien scholar, so yeah. I'm going to have to look this up. I'm pretty sure I, he created the dwarves. I have a friend who kind of is a Tolkien scholar, so I would love to get their, their feedback on this. Um, I'm sure we could Google around for it, but he... I don't know if he invented any of the races. I know that he definitely... Well, there may have been a concept like gnomes and other right. like, he, small he creatures. He solidified but, their features. But yeah, okay, so the word dwarf was invented by Tolkien. The word dwarf? Yeah, and therefore the, the race. Right. In but his... I mean, it wasn't... Because we also use dwarf as kind of a discriminant... Oh, wait. He, invent- okay. he invented this the race. This is a very, very, very much less significant <laughs> invention. Okay. He did not invent the word dwarf. Okay. He invented the plural form dwarves. Dwarves. Okay. Because before it was like this uh, 
the mountain dwarfs the hillside in comparison, right? Like, you could still use it that way. And that was the original plural of dwarf. Right, dwarfs. Right. Okay, so, but then he he made the race of dwarves, which then became a derogatory term for little people, I guess. I don't know what the correct... I think little people actually is the PC term. I hope it is. Otherwise, I've just repeated it several times. So... Okay, so, it, but he, the thing, after he made elves and dwarves in the image he chose, I don't know, for whatever reason he chose those characteristics, and then it was only five or ten years later that uh, the beginning of Dungeons & Dragons, I can't remember what the, so the, there was the thing that immediately preceded Dungeons and Dragons and then Dungeons and Dragons and then later Advanced Dungeons and Dragons and because elves and dwarves and hobbits and gnomes played so prevalently in those, they just further cemented Mm -hmm. this is what an elf looks like, this is what a dwarf looks like and then other fantasy writers were like... And also heavy uh, metal music. Also heavy metal music. (laughs) I feel like other fantasy writers just took those things and that's not bad but i mean they were just like oh if i want to write about elves that now this is what an elf looks like just like if i wanted to write about i don't know chinese people we all know what a chinese person looks like they tend to have dark hair they tend to have more tan skin so you would just take that for granted if you were writing about a you know german person you might not be that odd to make the assumption that they have a certain height and a certain hair color and a certain skin tone. So it's like he invented these things or, well, I guess he solidified the details for these things so much so that... Popularizer. Yeah, I never in my life until I started reflecting on those characters would I have ever considered like, oh, there was a time not that long ago that if you asked someone what an elf looked like, they would say, what? So to bring this back to marketing, is this like Kleenex? And Yes, it totally is. And that was the longest route around the block anyone has ever taken. <laughs> but, but you got I don't there. know if Rush Limbaugh tries to walk around the block, I might take longer. <laughs> <laughs> Just a needless dig at Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I approve of it because I don't really like him, but it's just so needless. Um, but thumbs up. No, he fulfills an important role in society of needlessly angering people with false information constantly. Yes. Thank God we have someone to do that very important job. Um, but yeah, so I guess he is responsible for the the Kleenex of the fantasy race world. (laughs) Another favorable comparison, Tolkien (laughs) scholars. He's the Tim and Eric of fantasy. (laughs) The Tim and Eric and Kleenex of fantasy. I feel like somewhere there are a bunch of... That's another title. There are a bunch of graduate students, like, angrily (laughs) wringing their dissertations. Come at me, bro. Yeah. Do you think you could take a Tolkien scholar? Like, are you just going to make a blanket statement? Is it Stephen Colbert? (laughs) Ooh, could you take Stephen Colbert in a fight? He's he's got to be pushing fifty. He's wily. Is he bro. over fifty? He's wily. I think he's like forty nine or fifty. He's yeah. He's a little bit younger than John Stewart. John Stewart's like fifty two, I think. Come on, Google answers. Colbert turns fifty in May of this year. Yeah. Okay. So on his show, he'll turn thirty five. <laughs> he he waffles. Like John Stewart's always very forthright about. How he, old he thinks John Stewart's he is. a straight man show, right? But but Colbert not straight as in sexual orientation, <laughs> but as in foil, yes, comedic foil. The straight man versus the the foil. Um, but I think Stephen Colbert sometimes when he has a guest that he really loves, he drops out of character a little bit and like geeks yeah, out I on them. I love those moments. Yeah, or when he just starts laughing. Yes. Just... So yeah, you can't maintain that facade a hundred percent of the time. Okay, so we have a little bit of time. Did you see any of the stories about the RSA conference and Stephen Colbert's speech there recently? Yes, I, that is a clip I actually managed to so see. So whatever else we want to say about it, I wanted to bring up, since you mentioned him being in character, because every once in a while people don't, people who aren't familiar, or for whatever reason, 
just have a bad reaction to Colbert because they don't realize he's a satire yes. of O'Reilly and Limbaugh and, Actually, and other pundits. I can do you one better. I know a couple of people who don't know that he's a satire and think he's brilliant. That's exact same thing. It's yeah. sort of a pose law thing. Yeah, that that terrifies me though because the things he's saying are so absurd. So this happened with the RSA conference. I just, people don't know he's a character. Even on the Verge comments, there were people oh. like, "Oh, my opinion of Stephen Colbert just dropped dramatically. I can't believe he's saying <laughs> these things." And you're like, "Do you realize that he's yeah. satire?" Yeah, he's kidding. Well, you know, I did see uh, someone critiqued his his RSA talk, which um, I, I'll throw the link in the show notes because it, it's actually really funny. Um, but somebody critiqued it because they said. Uh, his comments waffled between satire and seriousness. And on the surface level, I understand, okay, yes, he waffled between his character and his serious points, but that thing, the waffling, like, that is Stephen Colbert's character, mm-hmm. right? The the yeah, dangerous he- flip-flopping back and forth between... Um, the legitimate critiques of something and the satired support of it. Yeah. So I, I feel like, yes, that is weird, and yes, it is a little difficult to understand, but that is the the Colbert character. Because, I mean, let's face it, his last name is actually pronounced Colbert. Like, when his brother, his, his brother's a lawyer, he's been on the show, and he always goes, he introduces his own brother, who presumably has the same last name <laughs> as Colbert. But he's Colbert, so I mean, it's and his like isn't his like sister a senator now or something? She ran for some. She was some office, and he was supporting her for some other office. I don't remember if she actually got elected or okay. not. But yeah, but she also goes by Colbert. Um, Catholic family. There's probably a million Colberts. <laughs> I think he's one of eleven. Yeah, big. It wasn't big it, Irish. Hasn't Catholic he talked family. about like he's basically raised by his mother and yeah, yeah. His his upbringing is actually the story is very sad. Um, but it's very, it's one of those, it's, it's sad, but it's sweet because it turned out, but he, like his father died tragically and then like two of his siblings died tragically and it all, you know, the kids ended up having to like really support each other cause it was a big family and, you know, death of mm-hmm. a parent. I mean, it's, it's really tragic, but you know, like out of it blossomed, you know, all these successful, happy children and they, they made the best and, and all like that. But I, I just, his character is the dichotomy, right? Yeah. Um, so, well, they, I mean, he so, constantly so be, sets up these statements that he says so emphatically that are just ironically ridiculous. Like, yes. He's so good at that. Yes. And he contradicts himself constantly. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's the point is that the truth is whatever's true at that moment and suits him best, not yeah. what's empirically true. We actually – so uh, this is an audio podcast, but we're both casting these awkward sideways glances <laughs> out of the studio we're recording it to some people who are like standing in the wings. So hi, bizarre studio audience we didn't ask for. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yes. Thanks for coming out. We'll get some tote pads or T-shirts or something to give to the unplanned studio audience. Um, so I think it looks like we're we're coming up on the end of our time. So I think we got to wrap up. Um, the show notes for this episode will be at flippingtablespodcast dot com slash zero zero four three. No index three, but episode zero zero four. No fourth episode index zero zero three. Oh dear God! Oh, that's. We're going to leave this mistake in. We are going to leave this mistake in because yeah, I, oh dear God. it was 002 Samsung Band-Aid. Right. So. Okay. So flippingtablespodcast.com slash 003 for the fourth episode because yes. we had a pilot. Yep. You know, I thought I was being so damn clever at the time. We could just, <laughs> you know, skip an index. And, and reset. And just like refer to it as a lost episode and ooh retroactively just say we lost it yes we could so we'll we'll have to think about that but yeah flipping tables podcast.com slash zero zero three for the show notes and there are a lot of hilarious clips and uh terrifying steve jobs photos in there that people (laughs) should see you know i just realized we started with the terrifying steve jobs and then we included an apple ad so it's it's like here is the best and worst of apple related design (laughs) yep 
So, Mike, if people want to find you on the internet, where do they find you? Pseudomichael.com or on Twitter, M. Edwards Music. Come on, at Pseudomichael. We know you're out there. Give it up. Give, Give up, up the Twitter handle. Give up the ghost. <laughs> and uh, people can find me at Lions in Beta on Twitter or lionsinbeta.com or. I'm so jealous. Yeah. Well, you know, part of the reason I ended up with that name is because I checked all the networks I use right. and several networks I considered using and they were empty and then I squatted on it. Well, I checked a lot. I guess I didn't check Twitter at the time but because sure. I was already kind of established. But yeah, Pseudomichael is available everywhere yeah. except Twitter. <laughs> so, now I'm going to popularize it and people are going to go snatch it up everywhere. But probably. Whenever there's a new service, I try to grab it. Anyway, let's wrap this up. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Have a good week. Check us out online. Share it with friends. Do all of those things. All right.